Hey, how are you? Welcome. Welcome to episode number 24 of the Excellency Fiddlesticks podcast. You found it. Good for you. Stick around. If you listened at the top of the show, um, well, what we're going to be playing at the, at the beginning, usually I come in cold here, but um, the beginning song there was uh, music by Public Enemy, one of the premier rap groups in, in history and a recent inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is pretty cool. Congratulations to them. And it, it's kind of funny when you think about it that someone like Flava Flav is now a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of, Flam- Hall of, Hall of, Flav, Hall of Fame. I'll get it. And people get bent out of shape because uh, well, Rush made it this time, which was great because a lot of Rush fans were clamoring for that and, and lamenting the fact that their band wasn't in there. Not sure how much the band really cared about that. I'm not sure how they, how they actually feel about that. But um, to this day, it'll drive everyone, all the KISS fans are, are crazy about the fact that KISS isn't in there. And when I think about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it sort of bugs me. Because the whole notion of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame seems to me to be going against what the whole purpose of Rock and Roll is supposed to be all about. Right? It's supposed to be sort of rebellious. It's supposed to come from uh, anti, anti-mainstream, anti-establishment, whatever. And the, the idea of, of a Hall of Fame where you're voted in and you're elected and, and only certain criteria is met just seems to be totally antithetical to that. It seems ridiculous. Um, the museum part is cool. I think that having a museum is awesome. I would love to go through a museum and see see things that were like the jacket Jimi Hendrix had out on when he played at Woodstock and and you know a, a drum kit that Keith Moon beat the living crap out of and and guitars from Jimmy Page and Kurt Cobain. I'd just love to see all that stuff. That'd be pretty cool. But this notion of voting them in on the Hall of Fame based on merit or whatever it is to me it's just silly and it, 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 like I said it goes against what rock and roll is supposed to be about and the notion of a museum makes sense and in that, in that instance KISS certainly belongs in that part of it because love them or hate them and I personally am not a big fan of theirs and I would say I was a fan of KISS for about 15 minutes when I was 12 and like most people the music isn't really the thing with them it's the show they put on they invested a lot of a lot of time and energy into the pyrotechnics and the stage and the showmanship, and that's all part of the deal. And that, in a museum, yeah, here's, here's you know, the stage and here's the fire and all that cool stuff that they did, and that's how they got developed such a huge following. But the their fans are pissed off and that they're never getting in the Hall of Fame. They probably won't, because critics never like them, and that's the thing. If you were hit with the critics, you're going to get in the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. Um, it's stupid. And the other thing that drives me nuts about it, I'm not even sure if they still do this anymore, but every year at the the induction ceremony, um, you know, and it's kind of cool how somebody will, like, you 2 will be inducted by Bruce Springsteen. That's kind of neat, but again, it's something you probably do without. But they have this this all-star jam session in which you have, like, 47 people on stage playing. Um, and when you have, you know, 17 people playing guitar, is anyone really a lead guitarist? Anyway, the whole thing is led by, it used to be led by Paul Schaefer. Now, when I think rock and roll, I don't think Paul Schaefer. To me, Paul Schaefer is, to most people, he's the guy on Letterman, right? Letterman's band leader. Well-versed in rock and roll history, no question. But let's not forget, he, he was the guy responsible for uh, the Weather Girls. Yeah, he, he was responsible for that. Now, you can't get much more rock and roll than that, eh, Paul? Um, he was in Spinal Tap, which gives him a, a complete, you know, that's, that's a free pass. By the way, I just watched that movie again about a week ago and it still holds up 
it's still funny. Um, if you haven't seen it, you know, if you haven't seen it ever, or if you haven't seen it in a while, it, it's worth um, rewatching and taking another look at. It's a great movie. But anyway, um, I, I think of Paul Schaefer. I don't think of, of Mr. Rock and Roll, and and that's the whole thing. Just seems kind of smarmy and, and sort of self-congratulatory. And so that's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Not not a fan of the concept. Um, love the museum, and congrats, Public Enemy. Uh, just another thing to remember about the show uh, as we get into the show this week. Um, a actual produced comedy bit is in the show this week. First time it's ever happened. We actually spent time and produced a bit. See if you can find it in the show. That's a little uh, mission for you today. Uh, remember, if you want to contact the show, it's xfiddle, E-X-F-I-D-D-L-E, at gmail.com. Um, Twitter me, at fish24. And uh, get the show through iTunes if you haven't gotten it this way already. Either way, um, enjoy the show. Have fun. So in previous shows, um, if you've listened to the show before, you've heard me talk about dealing with some of nature's pests, including things like woodpeckers and spiders and mice and things like that. But never, never have I encountered anything of the flying variety until last night. Now, this wasn't in my house, so this makes it a little different. It makes the story a little more unique. But um, as you know, if you are a, a Catholic, this is this is Lent time of Lent, and Friday nights, most churches will do Stations of the Cross, will go and, and, you know, pray out at the Stations of the Cross and whatever, and my son wanted to go, so I took him, and as we walked into church last night, we go into the, the main wind, main door, there's a, a vestibule area, which is probably about, it's probably like a 9 by 12 area, so you have the main door, you have the, the vestibule area, and then you have inner doors, which would lead you into the church itself, Right? And that's relevant to the story. So as we're walking in, and he goes in first, and he takes some some water to bless himself, and he and he, I see something on the floor, and he points to it. I'm and I'm looking at it, and it looks as if if you see, have you ever seen like a, a piece of a plastic bag, like a plastic shopping bag? It looked like a piece of a black shopping bag that was sitting on the floor. I thought nothing of it. Um, I follow him, and we get closer, and he he's really looking. And he's like, look at this thing. It looks like it looks like a like a toy or something, and it looked like. It looked like a rubber prop bat that you would find in like a in a horror movie or a novelty shop or something. And I'm looking down at it, and this is no toy because this thing's head is moving back and forth and looking around. It's a bat. There's a friggin' bat in the vestibule of the church. I don't know how it got there. I don't know how no one else saw it but us because there were already people in there. We had gotten there almost around the time it was supposed to start, so we, we were like one of the last people to get there. How nobody saw this thing is beyond me. But anyway, that doesn't change the fact there's a bat on the floor in a church. Uh, we go in, right? We figure, I figure he's trapped in there, in the vestibule. I go, we go and sit down, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking around to find somebody who I can tell this to. I can tell, like, uh, sometimes you'll see a maintenance guy around. Sometimes you'll see anybody in authority that I could speak to and say, hey, by the way, you got a bit of a problem there in the in the in the in the area back there, and let's. We keep it on the on the DL a little bit and, and get it out of here. But I'm not seeing anybody. And then it starts to dawn on me, and this is where the, the guilt starts to kick in. All right, what if something happens? What if some old lady goes in there and the bat flies into her hair or, or you know sucks out one of her eyeballs or something, gives her a heart attack? I don't know. I've seen enough horror movies to know that this, this can't end well, right? So I tell my son, hang tight. I'm going to go see what I can do about getting this bat out of here. 
I start walking back, and I can see now that the inner doors I mentioned earlier are glass doors, so I can see in the vestibule area from inside the church. And I look in there, and I don't see the bat. He's not there anymore. I'm like, oh, my God, he's now where is he? And I look closely, and he's flying around in little circles in the area. I'm like, great. Now he's, we know he's not um, crippled, dead, wounded, whatever. He's actually he's mobile. He's airborne. He just can't figure out how to get out of there because he's an animal. So I get in there, and the first thing I try to do is open the door to the outside. I say, if I can just kind of somehow convince him to go outside, like you're going to coerce an animal. Hey, look, daylight, go. They never, they never see it. Animals are not smart. They never, they're never smart enough to say, oh, there's my way out. I eventually figure out a way to prop the door open, right? And now, meanwhile, I'm in, I'm in this lobby, and I'm, I'm sort of, you know, trying to avoid the bat at the same time trying to get him to get him go out the door. And the ceremony is starting inside, so clearly there's no way they didn't see me. I'm like, what is that guy doing out there? In, in the in the area, what's he, what's he doing? Like they must have thought something weird was going on. Little they know, I'm trying to save everything. Because who knows? There's got to be a prophecy somewhere that you know a, a, a bat in a church on a Friday during Lent has got to be some sort of uh, you know one of the seven signs or the eighth seal of hell is broken. I don't know what's going on, but I, all I know is that I got to get this guy out of here because now I'm I'm too far into it. Now I'm committed to it. it I've taken it upon myself to get this thing out of here, and I'm gonna do it door open. He flies around a couple times. I sort of... I don't want to get too close because, again, I've seen too many... I've seen how this movie ends where the bat will, like, leech it, attach itself to a vein in my neck and just start cutting my jugular and I'll just... I'll bleed out right there in the lobby and he'll just cackle and walk away. Nothing I'm doing is working. And he's on the ground and I'm walking up and I find something that I can try to hit him with. Then I hit him. Like, I don't want to kill him. I thought Again, I thought killing him would not be the right thing to do, though it probably would have made my everybody's life a lot easier a lot quicker. I found a chair, and I'm poking him with the chair leg, going, go, go. And the sound he's making is this is the stuff of nightmares. It's like, it's like this, this, I can't even describe it. it. It's the sound that a beast from hell would make. It was a hell, a little screechy, eh, eh. Every time I touch him, make that noise. Like, he clearly was not enjoying what I was doing to him. And sometimes I'd be able to pop him and prod him, and he was just going to his circle flying again. It was like, ah, he's flying again. So I'm covering up my eyeballs, I'm covering up my head, like, a, you know, don't touch me, whatever. After this goes on for probably a good ten minutes, and it, the ten minutes felt like about an hour, I eventually get him somewhere near the door, and I find if I can just take my foot and just kind of nudge him—not I mean, not not kick him—I'm just kind of moving him with my foot. So you animal lovers out there, just you know, don't write me angry letters. I didn't kill anybody, or I didn't even hurt him. But eventually, I was able to to sort of move him with my foot a little bit, and I finally I, I got him, and he 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 was within about two feet of the open door. I'm like, I got him. I got, I got to make this count because if, if I don't get him here and he flies back in, I'm back at square one again. And eventually I give him one, two, and zing! I get him out the door with my foot. But what he does, he kind of does a, a barrel roll, like a dive roll, like he was a, like a cop in a 70s TV show. And when he lands outside the door, he like rolls over and digs in. And I'm like, oh shit, now he's coming for me. I figure he's going to just, he's got his bearings back. He's got me in his sights. I'm the enemy. He can't see me, but he, you know, he's got that supersonic sonar crap going on. He's going to just fly into my head and he's going to tear my throat out. He's out. I shut the door. Problem solved. I go back in and, and everybody say, and nobody acknowledged it. Nobody knew what I'd just done out there. I just saved a bunch of people. I saved, I saved people. I'm a hero, damn it. And nobody, nobody knew what they did. So when it came time to leave, which is about roughly, you know, about 45 minutes later, let's say, I want to get out there first. 
I want to make sure he's not camping out on the doorstep, waiting for that door to open again so we can spring back in there to, to action. So there's about three or four old people who were heading out ahead of us, and I'm like, come on, come on, come on, we got to go. And as soon as they opened the door, I'm looking right where I left him. Thankfully, he was gone, and uh, he's, he, the, the people are free from the terror that this bat would have... Can you imagine if this thing got loose inside a church? Oh, my God. It would have been pandemonium. Anyway, um, I'm thinking with all that's going on, uh, this might there might be a prophecy somewhere where he who vanquishes the hell beast on a Friday during Lent becomes... I might be the next pope. Who knows? They may, they may, that may just be this, this, the, the prophecy has been unearthed. I vanquish the beast, and I'm pope. So you can say, listeners, you knew me when. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's the hell beast story for the week, and hopefully um, no one ever has to encounter that, that kind of crap again. You know, there's plenty of examples uh, that Hollywood is out of ideas. Uh, when you see them, you know, started when they started rehashing TV shows and making movies. And, you know, a couple made sense. The Brady Bunch movie was really awesome, I thought. But they started dig- digging in and doing stuff like, you know, the Dragnet movie was stupid and Bewitched and all this other crap. It just doesn't work. Because the, it, why? Because there's, there's a lack, a dearth of good ideas. And this dawned on me when I was... I saw, you know, you saw a trailer on TV... And you never know what the trailer's about at first. You just see a lot of action sequences. And this looks to be typical of what you'd see lately and what's what's a big trend, right? A big trend now is, is like uh, like with Twilight and with... It's either vampires or zombies are, are pretty hot right now. And what you see in the trailer, you see a bunch of, uh, you know, some, some demonic-looking things, some witches and things like that. And it's really super cool CGI and really great special effects. Looks like a big-budget thing. And, of course, at the center, there's two you know, hot-looking 20-somethings who are the ones who are playing the role of the the vanquishers. They are doing the damage, right? And it goes on and on. So this movie looks pretty cool. You know, it's a couple of people, and they're kicking some major ass, and they're kicking some supernatural ass, and it's it looks pretty awesome and cool. And then they get to the to the actual title at the end, you see, and I say the title is Hansel and Gretel. I'm like, wait, wait that. What? Hansel and Gretel. Now, to me... Hansel and Gretel was always a couple of pudgy little German kids who got lost in the woods, couldn't get out of their own way, and from the way I remember it, they were just uh, little little pigs who were heading for a house that was made of candy so they could sit there and eat and get sick. And uh, the witch, who turned out to be a cannibal, of course, because in fairy tales, every adult is a cannibal who wants to eat you. Uh, she wanted to throw them in an oven and whatever. I don't even remember how the story ended, but all I remember is it was it was just a couple of of like I said, little pudgy German kids. Now I think if you if you look back deeper into the story, the original legend, which by the way, fairy tales are the most fucked up things on the planet. If you ever really sat down and read them, they're all insane and they're all super violent and super dark and depressing. Anyway, uh, I think the original story was a little more ass kicky, a little less let's go eat a candy cane before the old lady puts us in an oven type thing. Um, and then I see another trailer uh, for another movie, which again, this one looks even more amazing as far as CGI goes, because you've got uh, big, you know, supersized monsters and things like that, and this again, more ass-kicking, more run for our lives, more we got to fight this thing, 
more we're taking down these these massive beasts and again looks like big budget looks like amazing CGI looks like a pretty cool really loud movie which will probably be in 3D and this is Jack the Giant Killer which if you think if you look into it even the tiniest bit it's Jack and the Beanstalk so again you're taking another simple fairy tale of which to my recollection, was a, a little farmer kid who was, I guess, he was an orphan. Nobody ever had two parents, it seems like, in these movies, too. It's, it's like Disney. Uh, Two-parent families, uh, you know, everybody talks about traditional values, wholesomeness, and that. None of the Disney people seem to have an intact family. Usually someone died. Never, It's never somebody went out for a loaf of bread and never came back. It's usually, um, they're dead. But anyway, dead parents. And uh, you know, the, this is a kid in poverty who ends up uh, trading the cow, which the cow is like the lifeblood of your of your life at that point. And he trades the cow for some magic beans, and his mother, you know, says, you know, you're an asshole. But he plants the beans, grows the, you know, the story. And then he goes up there as a big giant, which he kills, which I guess makes him rich eventually. But in this movie, I don't think you're going to see a lot of the traditional, you know, nice little kid with the beans. There's going to be a lot more kicking giant ass. So I'm thinking to myself, where is this going? What what else uh, could what other fairy tale, what other fairy tales could they mine to make a big budget blockbuster movie? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought it might be something like this. Their plan was perfect. We will take what is dear to her. She will have no choice but to meet our demands. They overlooked one thing. And this time... Every minute you are late with payments, we will kill one sheep. Meet our demands, or lose them all. It's personal. Give me back my sheep! See, that's what I'm talking about. That that was that would be a movie I would like to see. That's a great story, uh, uh, revenge fantasy story. Yeah, brilliant. Um, anyway, I, I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking about as far as next movies can go. Who knows what the geniuses in Hollywood will come up with next? I live in the northeast, northeast part of the United States, as many of you probably know. Um, and if you know that, you probably also know that recently we had the 
mother of all storms, a blizzard of the century, uh, about a week ago. Uh, let's just say I happen to live, be fortunate enough to live in the area, the little tiny band of, of the map, which received probably the worst beating in the entire region. I woke up to 35 inches of snow in my driveway, which is uh, daunting to say the least, and it's, it, it's the, the amount of work that has to be done to try and remove that stuff. And the worst part is you realize when you're even, you know, you're out there for three hours and you look up and you're about a quarter of the way done and there's so much more to do. It just, if ever a storm could defeat a human, they have felt so defeated. But some of the things come out of the storm are pretty cool. For instance, we didn't see plows for a long time. And we just, you know, it's sort of unprecedented. And that's what made it so unique and interesting that it's something the likes of which we'd never seen before, which was cool. But other places who also got hit by the storm... Um, people did a few different things. And then I heard this story, which made me laugh. In Rhode Island, um, a town called South Kingstown, uh, a few enterprising teenage boys <clears throat> decided to, you know, when they were given lemons, made lemonade. In the snow in front of their house, they decided to fashion a sculpture of a 12-foot-high penis. So they did. These teenage kids, which, duh, teenagers, made a 12-foot-tall uh, sculpture of penis complete with, with balls on the bottom of it at the end of their driveway. And think about this. In a storm, when there's all this emergency stuff going on, where um, emergency vehicles probably are having trouble getting places, um, if it's not plowed out properly, I know our, our neighborhood plows were rarely seen in the first 24, 48 hours after the storm. So there's a little concern that if there was an actual problem... What would we do? Would we be able to get out of here? People in Rhode Island didn't have this problem. Uh, apparently, they were calling the cops repeatedly on the family who had the penis sculpture in their front yard. And police who were able to get there said, you know what, it's on private property. We can't do anything about it, so shut up. Uh, the mother of the, the two kids, who's rapidly becoming a hero, she's quoted as saying, they're teenage boys. There's worse things they could be doing. Obviously. And she said it was innocent, and to be honest, knowing that it pissed people off gave us a little charge. If you have nothing else to do in your day other than complain about a snow penis, we'll make it 12 feet tall. So she heard the complaints they made. She said, boys, go make that dick harder and bigger, which is something weird advice to get from your mother, I would honestly say. But these are teenage kids. This is what they do. They do something stupid. And she's right. There's a million other things they could have been doing which would have been a thousand times worse than this. I remember... Back from, they compared this blizzard to the one in 78. I remember in 78, I was in middle school. Yes, I'm old. And a couple kids at school went out to the football field, I guess on a weekend, and did graffiti in the snow, right? So this, they would write something in the snow that was visible from the entire school. And it was funny because it was a great joke because nobody from inside the school on a cozy Monday morning is going to run out there and try and get rid of the graffiti because there's two feet of snow out there. Oh, you want to know what they wrote in the snow? What these psychotic young young 14-year-old kids wrote in the snow? Uh, in big letters, probably, you know, three or four feet high each, they wrote, I love sex. Yeah. That was the demonry these kids posted in the snow out there. And it was hysterical when you're 14. It's funny. And I think even some teachers probably get, got a good laugh out of it because they could have written a million different things in the snow. They could have written... You know, somebody's a Nazi. They could have said something bad about an individual person. They didn't do that. They just wrote, I love sex, because what 14-year-old doesn't? Uh, so people just need to get their, you know, get the six out of their asses here. 
Um, an update on the sculpture did come down. It got demolished, and the mother, and this is a direct quote, it's just a big pair of balls now, she said. Uh, they knocked it down about a few hours after the story was posted, but not before a picture was taken. So we do have a picture. I'll put it up on the site for you guys to check out. And um, I guess the lesson is people just need to just need to calm down and and then uh, and get a life. Come on, really. Because I, for one, don't want to live in a world where you can't have a 12-foot-high snow penis in your front yard. If, if liking the ability to do that is wrong, well then, goddammit, I don't want to be right. Time for a new feature in the show. This is called the Fiddlesticks Comedy Corner. And yes, Comedy Corner is spelled with a K, because that's just about as wacky as it gets, isn't it? Uh, I, it this is my way of giving back to the comedy community, which has given me so much over the years. You know, a lot of you young comedians out there are struggling to get started, struggling to put together a good five minutes so you can hop on stage at an improv or a comedy club somewhere and, and really make an impression and try and knock the audience dead. Well, I'm here to help. I'm here to give you, uh, maybe weekly, every time we do the show, I'll throw out a tip for you young comedians just struggling to get started. Give you something which I think will really help you get along and uh, build a foundation for a good, solid, at least five minutes of your act. So you ready? If you're kids, you want to take notes. Um, if you're old-fashioned, you want to write this down on a piece of paper. Or if you're uh, one of these modern kids who uses these newfangled Internet devices and web thingies, you're going to record this, right? You got this, and you're going to, you're going to be able to take this down and, and use it. So get ready. Here goes. Here's your surefire comedy bit number one. Airline food. Think about it. They serve food on airplanes. It tastes like shit. It's so bad. It's laughably bad. The food they give you on airplanes is laughably, horribly bad in small little containers. You could compare it to, oh, I don't know, styrofoam, cardboard... Um, you could talk about the ridiculously small portions, um, how the drinks are watered down and horrible. There's so many ways to go off this, but I'm just giving you the core idea. Airline food is bad. And go. That's your tip for this week. Stick around. Next week you might get another tip about something even more funny. Uh, something you can really use to build. Who knows, by the time you're done with me and under my tutelage, you could have a whole hour for Comedy Central. So, good luck with that. Have at it, young comedians, and let me know how you do. Time once again for this week's party shot, um, where I recommend something awesome, and hopefully you'll find it awesome too. Uh, it seems that the concept of the album, as many of us once knew it, musically I mean, 
is slowly disappearing. I mean, maybe it's just a matter of me getting older and having less time to really sit and just listen to a record from start to finish. Or maybe it's a result of the distribution and sales models which have arrived with the advent of digital music, which is more single-centric. I don't know. But I remember from those days of really getting into an album so much that you ended up, in some cases, moving beyond the hits and spending more time appreciating the deeper cuts, usually the ones buried near the end of side two. I had several for which it seemed like that I was the only one who ever knew about these kind of songs, uh, as they were rarely the topic of discussion when talking with someone about the record. One such song is from the Cars' third album, Panorama, released in 1980, called Up and Down. several better-known songs, notably Touch and Go and Misfit Kid, but this song, which closed out the LP, quickly became the favorite for me. Pounding synth and driving guitar were an immediate eye-opener for me, and the song seemed almost out of place as the final one on the record. This was usually the spot where many artists would bury a non-single ballad or generally a slower kind of song, but not, not in this case, as Rico Kasich delivered a non-hiccupy vocal for a change, and guitarist Elliot Easton was allowed to come as close as he ever did to actually shredding this band. Despite this, the song was rarely, if ever, played live, which only added to its allure for my 16-year-old self. Now, trust me, I saw these guys three times on this, this tour and did not hear Up and Down one time. Uh, I guess the appeal could have stemmed from the fact that this was about as raw-sounding as the cars ever got. It had little of that highly polished, cleaner sound for which they would become known or were known at that time. Either that or the fact that in many ways it seemed like the only person in the world who knew about the existence of the song was me. Well, the band, of course. And that's this week's parting shot. And that's the show. Uh, again, you want to contact the show? exfiddle at gmail.com. 
Hit me up on Twitter at Bish24. Download the show through iTunes. If you do, leave a comment. And uh, take care. Adios.